Good morning, Elevation. Uh, I just want to say that I'm recording this sermon on August the 12th on a very hot and sticky day here at 22 Willow. And we've snuck away into the library because the building's fairly noisy today. So hopefully we won't be bothered by any external noise this morning. When you're hearing this sermon, uh, we will have arrived at the final week of our summer series, By Faith. Uh, our text this morning is from Hebrews 11, and if you were to go back to the beginning of the chapter and read along, you would see an, kind of an overview of our series with highlights from some of the Old Testament characters we visited, and you'd be reminded all the way through that these men and women lived by faith, thus the title for the series. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Abel. By faith, Rahab. And some of the other characters that we've talked about. We've learned that living by faith often means walking forward with no guarantee in sight, of taking risks, of believing that something could happen even though it might seem so unlikely. Think about Abraham and Sarah. Uh, it, earlier in, the, in Hebrews it says that he was as good as dead, and yet there were offspring still to be born from him by faith. We heard stories that resolved, we heard others that did not resolve at all, and still others for whom things fell somewhere in between. Now, although the text this morning is broader, I want to bring our focus into two verses, Hebrews 11:39 to 40. These verses are referring to those for whom life did not resolve. As was read to us, quote, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Their lives took on a theme of waiting, some wandering in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. The text goes on to say that the world was not worthy of them. Not that they were not worthy of the world, but this world was not worthy of them. And their lives were marked by waiting. I don't like to wait. Several years ago, while we were living in Edmonton, I met with a woman, her name was Gloria, and we met at a coffee shop with the, uh, for the purpose of determining whether we might enter into an intentional relationship. Uh, this would be a relationship of spiritual direction, her being the director, me being the directee. And if you're not familiar with spiritual direction, it is a, it's a coupling of two people um, walking alongside each other. Um, the director is usually either formally trained or very gifted um, in helping people to discern what God is saying to them, what he's calling them out to do. So that was the purpose of our gathering. So we went in and we got our coffee and we sat down. I remember the, the chairs were sort of comfortable, worn, brown leather chairs. And she looked at me and said, tell me about yourself. So I launched into an overview of my life, including details like where I grew up, St. Catharines, where I had moved to Vancouver and then to Edmonton, how many children I have, um, what my husband and I were doing at the time, we were in ministry planting a church, just those kinds of details. So I was just giving her the highlights of my life. So after five or seven minutes, I wound down my story and she paused for a moment and she looked at me and said, you don't like to wait, do you? And I was a little taken aback. I was scrambling to, to review what had I said that made her think that. But as I walked away that day and I reflected on her observation, and by the way, I did enter into a relationship with her and she continued to be that insightful, uh, I could recognize that when things in my life trouble me or give me anxiety, it can often be traced to waiting. 
Now, I don't mind waiting in line at the grocery store. I don't even mind sitting in traffic on the 401. It's not that kind of waiting. It's waiting for things to resolve, for people to change, for circumstances to make sense. I don't like the long game, and I don't like waiting. But it's in seasons of waiting that spiritual formation often happens. What do I mean by spiritual formation? Simply put, it's the process which takes place in us, moving us closer to imitating and living out the attributes of God and Jesus. Spiritual formation happens also through disciplines of prayer, meditation, reading scripture, or other books. It can be moved along in relationship, either by formal spiritual friendships or by other kinds of relationship. But it's in the hard circumstances of our lives, and those circumstances often include waiting, that we have the opportunity to be shaped and formed. Rich Willotis says, the sad irony of our day is that we can be deeply committed to being a Christian, but not deeply formed by Christ. We can avoid that formation. We can hold on white-knuckled, enduring seasons of our lives, just willing them to pass. Or we can pause and pay attention. One of my favorite authors, uh, Tish Harrison Warren, talks about prayer and presence in the waiting. And I spoke about this a couple of years ago. And since then, I've continued to pay attention to this way of waiting in my own life. What's happening in the waiting? How can we shift our attention? Where can we see God working if we don't see him working? And quite honestly, that often feels more like the common experience. How can we practice deeper ways of trust? That might involve talking really honestly with God, getting real about our feelings, our desires, our longings, our disappointments, sadness, um, and often our lack of faith or our lack of perspective. And I do know that God is up for that kind of conversation and we shouldn't be afraid to bring that to Him. So we're not talking about white-knuckled waiting, waiting for an end. Instead, we're talking about participating in the waiting, being intentional about shifting our thinking, our posture, and practicing watching, and listening. Now, having lived through the last 17 or so months, the examples of waiting are endless. Talk about material for a sermon like this. We moved through different seasons of waiting. At first, we thought the waiting would be short, and then we moved into a longer period of waiting. Then we began to feel hopeful, only to return to a longer season of waiting again. And more recently, when we might be able to begin to believe that our waiting might be over, I found that I'm not as patient with the waiting. The end might be in sight. Let's get on with it. I want my freedom, or at least I want a good haircut. Aside from the pandemic, there are so many themes in Scripture around waiting. Not only the themes from this sermon series and the lives of the ancients that we have visited, but the whole arc of Scripture is heading toward a final reconciliation, a redemption of all things, something that we are waiting for. Now I want to return back to our text and read, um, read it from Eugene Peterson's version in the message. He says, not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us, that their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole. Their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. So when I first read this, God had a better plan for us I went back to reread because my first question was, what did their lives have to do with us? 
But this brings to light another interesting thread that we see in Scripture, that of all things working together as part of a whole. We talk about all things working together for good, and that's part of this, but this is describing a bigger narrative. When I spoke back in February about reading the Psalms as a way of processing emotion, I, ref I reference how by doing so we enter into a bigger story, um, a tradition of reading the Psalms that goes back to the early church. We aren't just people at this moment in time, but we're part of all people who have gone before us and who will be born and live beyond us. To quote the text, their faith and our faith will come together to make one completed whole. Again, their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. Now that's a hard concept for me to, to wrap my head around because I can so easily choose to see my life and circumstances in very narrow margins and I think that's a human thing to do. Not only are we connected to those who went before us, but we're connected to those who are, we are journeying with now. Our faith is intertwined in our present community and together we can watch and wait. Uh, those of you who have been tracking along with neighbors groups over the past couple of years have been participating in that connection, or you might have other places of connection in your family or your community that you're waiting and watching together. And we're also connected to the people that have yet to be born and yet to go and, and will go um, ahead of us or after us. But it's in the actual real-time situations of our lives that provide opportunities for real change and growth and a move toward the likeness of Christ or spiritual formation. So how does this work? It's important, I think, to get practical here and really talk about how this fleshes out in life. So say I'm parenting a teenager, and this teenager is not a nice person. It's possible I've been in this situation. And as a parent, you can't escape that person. Uh, you might want to say, hey, I'll see you when you're 21, but you can't do that, of course. And not only can you not escape them, in fact, you're called to love them and support them and to hold out the best for them. But in the day-to-day, -day, you're dealing with anger, rebellion, disrespect, mostly theirs, but quite honestly, sometimes your own. And you begin to question if you even like them anymore, let alone love them. Or you're caring, for an age, you're caring for an aging parent and feeling stretched by the demands of that, the, comp the complexity of the, mo the emotions that surround um, you moving into more of a parent of your parent. And you begin to question, um, you begin to question that situation. Or you're in a marriage that's begun to feel sad and lonely. Or you're waiting for a partner. Um, these are hard places. They're places we want to escape. We want to see resolve. We want them to be over. But there are places where we can choose to shift our attention, to be present to what God is doing in them, but more importantly, in us. We can practice disciplines of restraint, of turning to God. So in moments of extreme pressure and stress, of being intentional, of turning to God, reframing what's going on. And along the way, we gather a toolkit um, of resilience. Uh, one of the things that um, I've noticed in uh, being exposed to the racial justice course in the, in the winter um, or in the spring and, um, and observing the folks that are caring for in the Indigenous work, something that I notice is that there is a level of resilience in those people because they're aware that the work did not start with them and won't end with them. It, it has been going on well before they stepped into it and they are passionate as they advocate for it, but they also know that it's a long journey, it's a long road, and so they have built up resilience.
Now, I want to be really careful with the whole theme of this this morning. Um, this isn't a simple solution. Um, this isn't a, well, just pray and things will be okay. These situations are profoundly challenging. And we've heard through the pandemic and more recently, people in our community that are really struggling deeply. And I want to acknowledge that, that th this is not an easy situation. But we can step back and reframe it and um, see it as something that has the capacity to shape us along the way. Sometimes we need others to help us in those seasons. Someone may be removed a bit who might give perspective when we can't see any. Um, that can be the role of a spiritual director or a trusted friend um, or someone on the pastoral team here at Elevation that comes alongside you. Um, but it's a matter of posturing ourselves, staying on the lookout for grace, doing it together. If we read the verses leading into the text this morning, the, the verses that we've been focusing on, again from Eugene Peterson, we read, we have stories of those who were stoned, sawed in two, murdered in cold blood, stories of vagrants wandering the earth in animal skins. The world didn't deserve them, making their way as best they could on the cruel edges of the world. How can we live on the cruel edges of the world? Sometimes our lives push us dangerously close to those edges where we feel like we're holding on for dear life. Prayer is a vehicle, is a way um, to live on those cruel edges. Prayer can feel like a burden and a challenge. It's not always easy to pray or mean the words. Um, sometimes our words can just feel empty, unformed. Simona Vey wrote that absolute unmixed attention is prayer. So maybe it's that to just cultivate that unmixed attention. Just sitting, being present, being um, self-controlled enough to just sit, moving through the discomfort of that, being lonely and feeling the loneliness and asking the loneliness what it's teaching you and how, how um, you can be formed through that loneliness. Most of us find that very uncomfortable. Um, there's obviously so many distractions and we can always reach for something that will take our mind off it. And um, they say that through the pandemic, m people are scrolling and scrolling and scrolling because they're just trying to avoid the feelings of, of anxiety and whatnot. Um, Tish Warren says, daily prayer or attention has not made me float from spiritual bliss to spiritual bliss uninterrupted, but a regular practice of prayer corrects our vision over time. We learn to watch for what is around us every minute. And I want you to listen to these words because I think they're so beautiful. What's around us every minute, mercy, beauty, mystery, and a God who never ceases to wait and watch with us. We're not alone. To quote Tish Warren one more time, and I really do read other authors, but her work on this topic is very compelling to me. Um, it's helped me personally and helped me as I thought about um, this sermon today. Uh, she says, the believer's constant posture is to lean slightly forward in anticipation. We wait for God to act, to set things right, to show up and work. Sometimes he does. And sometimes the sick die, the conflict worsens, the disappointment deepens, yet we continue to watch and wait, knowing that this 
that this moment that we see, a small circle of lantern light, is not the whole road, and it's not the whole story. As I said, I've been thinking about this theme of waiting uh, for, for quite a while now, and uh, over the last several months I've been sort of meditating on Psalm 130. Uh, and so I just want to read um, part of this to you. Uh, Psalm 130 partway through says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in His word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning more than watchmen wait for the morning. And I love that beautiful, gentle repetition, just reminding us. Um, I, I looked up um, something that one of the commentators said, and, and they said, more anxiously than the watchman longs for the dawn, which is to release him from his duty, does the devout Israelite long for the end of the night of trouble and the dawn of a happier day. The repetition of watchmen for the morning gives a touch of pathetic earnestness. It's not pathetic in a negative way, it's pathos, it's heaviness, it's a yearning and a longing, and the watchman is on alert, and they are watching and waiting for the morning. We're going to break now and invite you to step into your neighbor's calls if, um, if you've been doing that. And if you haven't joined your neighbor's calls recently, um, we're at the end of the summer, this would be a good time to hop back in as we prepare prepare to connect in the fall. Uh, if you're not in a neighbors group, if you're um, connecting with us this morning from a distance or even locally, but you're not um, connected to an Elevation neighbors group, you're welcome to join the one in North Waterloo. The link will be in the comments right away. And the people there that are ready and willing to welcome you into conversation this morning. So I just want to finish off this morning by reading the next section of Psalm 130. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. He Himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Go in peace.